Welcome to Sheer Clarity, the show that will teach you about leadership by attraction, building self-awareness, and how to develop exceptional self-management abilities that will help you become more reflective, more open, more trusting, and more engaging with the people who matter to you most. In other words, make you a better leader. Head on over to SheerClarity.com where you can learn more, subscribe to the show for free, and connect on social media. And now, here's your host, Jay Kevin McHugh. Greetings, listeners. Welcome to Sheer Clarity. I am Jay Kevin McHugh, your host. In this episode, we are going to start a conversation about the halftime of life. It's going to be two episodes. Today's episode is going to be about halftime as a model, as a concept. What is it? How does it work? What are the kinds of questions that you are going to ask at the halftime of life? When does this occur? What does you do with it? And why it's important to become very familiar with what this halftime model is, because it's going to be very helpful for you creating a platform, not only for where you are now in terms of the way you lead and how you look at your leadership goals, aspirations, ambitions, but it's also going to set the stage for what you're doing from now until the second half of your life, which we're going to call finishing well. We'll talk about that on the next episode. So that's today's episode, the halftime. What is it? How does it work? Why do you need to know about it and what you can do with it and how it can help you to be a better leader? I think this is a good a time as any to introduce my producer, Matthew Passy. Matthew, where are you in the halftime? I don't think you're quite there yet, my friend. You're still a youngster. <laughs> I hope I'm not quite at the halftime yet. I'd like to think both in age and in percentage of where I'm going. I'm maybe in the late 30s of uh, 30 percentile of, of my career right now. That would be a nice way to think about it. Head down, head down. How do you feel about telling the listeners a little bit about like, okay, so you're in your late 30s. Tell us a little bit more about you so they have some idea of what your personal world looks like, your personal life. I don't know if we've done that in the first 13 or 14 episodes where we've just taken a moment and said hello to the audience so they know something about us. But it just came up on my mind now, so I'm running with it. Sorry for the surprise. But tell people now a little bit about marital status, children, a little bit about life, and I would just love our listeners to get to know you better. Well, as usual, you do like to throw curveballs at me at the last second there. I like it. <laughs> so as I mentioned, I'm in my late 30s, starting to push into the 40s uh, in the next year or so. Married, two young kids. They are twins approaching two years old. Actually, by the time some of you hear this, folks, they might actually be two. I have had a career in the radio broadcasting world for about 14 years. And then at the end of 2014, I found myself getting pushed out the door. My company decided that they wanted to exit the radio business. And they also got out of podcasting, which is what I was doing. Podcasting wasn't necessarily the focus of my life at the time, but it was something that played a large role in what I'd been doing on a day-to-day -day basis. 2015 rolls around. I'm out there looking for work, thinking about what I want to do and looking for ways to make a little bit of money. And so people that I knew, people that I had worked with turned to me and they said, you know, we really enjoyed doing those podcasts with you. They were great marketing vehicles. You think you can help us with that? And I thought about it and I said, sure, I guess. Why not? I don't need a lot of stuff to get it done. Just computer, you know, a few other things. And 
So I started to do that, again, mostly just as a way to make some money, mostly as a way to occupy my time. You know, I won't bore you with all the details, but after four years, this little part-time hobby side hustle has now turned into a full-time job of just producing podcasts. And it feels like I've been doing it forever, but I still feel like it's in its infancy and I've got lots of ideas and places that I can take it and ways to grow. That's where it's at. Outstanding. Outstanding. Well, thanks for doing that. I got to tell the audience, I mean, this is new to me, 13 or 14 episodes in, and let's call me in the mid-60s. I've been passionate about trying to share what I've learned over all these years. It's pretty common for people who start hitting this age category to start thinking about, you know, hey, I'm on the downhill, man, so... I want to download what I've learned and what I know, hoping it'll be a benefit. So it's really turned out to be cool because not only do I get to do that, but I get to do that with a guy who's 25 years behind me. So we sort of have a great chemistry of working this out. And as you can see from Matthew's story, he evolved. Conditions presented themselves and Something led to something and something led to something else. And I actually have the same experience. That is to be contrasted with listeners who maybe actually never, ever wavered from what their mission was. I'm going to be somebody in business. I'm going to go get an MBA. I'm going to go work for one of the big consulting firms. I'm going to move into investment banking. And here I go. I'm launched. I'm in my career. Climbing the corporate ladder, hitting all my markers. But what it does, whether you kind of evolved or whether you were directly organized, planned, and focused, all of us are going to hit this halftime piece. So let me explain to you what it is. The term, I believe, was coined for the first time by a guy named Bob Buford. I met Bob back in 2010. He's associated with the Young President's Organization. He was a member. He was based in Dallas, Texas. And Bob was just a successful entrepreneur. He was way, way, way early in the cable television business. He ended up being quite successful at it. And that kind of morphed for him into this Halftime Institute, which was just designed for people who were approaching halftime, which I'll explain in a couple minutes here providing an opportunity for leaders in the halftime of life to be reflective, to calculate how their success has occurred so far, what was the measurement, what did it look like, and then also to help people map out where they were headed in the, in the second half of life. He was also blessed to have met early in his career one of the great names in management, a guy by the name of Peter Drucker, and Bob became very friendly with Peter and they had a very close relationship. And so a lot of Bob's work was highly influenced by Peter Drucker. And of course, anybody who's been in a management program anywhere in college has heard this name. And it continues. He's sort of like the founding father of modern management. And even terminology Peter Drucker used back in the 50s still resonates today. We just kind of recast it. One of the terms that he used early on was called participatory management. Today, we call it collaboration. We measure it not by participation. We call it employee engagement. Same idea, humans collected in a business environment. How do we get them to work well together? So 
Bob is sort of the architect of this halftime model, and he eventually came to use the term based on the football metaphor of halftime. I won't assume everybody knows what American football is, but it's basically played in four quarters, and the quarters are 15 minutes, and you play the first two quarters, and there's a break. And the break is when the teams go into the locker room, and then there's some kind of halftime entertainment. That's when the high school or the college bands come out and do their thing. But what's happening is that in the locker room, the players and the coaches are examining what just happened. We just played the first two quarters of a four-quarter game. We are at the halfway mark. And the question that we now have to ask is, where are we? How are we doing? What's the scoreboard say? What's our game plan? How well did the game plan work? Are we ahead? Are we behind? Is it close? By the way, how are we doing with respect to our players? Did we have any star players become injured and now we have a replacement? What's happening with the game plan in the second half? What changes do we need to make? Where are we getting beaten badly and what do we have to adjust? It becomes a very powerful time in this locker room and it's not a long amount of time. I have to apologize. I don't know exactly how long it is. Maybe it's 15 or 20 minutes. But in the end, we are eventually going to hear a knock on the door and somebody's going to say two minutes, which means you're going to put your helmet back on and you're going to walk back onto the field and you're going to try and stretch those muscles, which have now become cool and tight. And the next thing you know, there's a kickoff and we're back in it, back in it. And we've got the second half to play complete with our adjustments, complete with our rearrangements, and we're going back with the intent to win the game. So that is halftime in a nutshell. And what Bob found was that this metaphor works fairly well, and the age category for leaders is somewhere between the ages of 45 and 55. This is the natural breakpoint or the halftime of our lives. It's working on an assumption that maybe we live, if everything goes well, from 90 to 100. So somewhere around 45 to 50, give or take, that's halftime. In the life model, I mean, if you think about your own life, you've played the first quarter, you went zero to 25. What did you do? You grew up, you had a family, you had a mom or a dad, or maybe you didn't. Maybe you had a single parent household. You had conditions. You had a situation. You had a lot of the psychological imprinting of your childhood, the lessons that you learned, the challenges that you may or may not have had. And then you ended up getting organized to get into preparation for a career or for earning an income. Chances are that meant you were going to go to college from college, you then are interacting with other people, and maybe you're finding a mate and a partner for life. Maybe you're getting yourself established. So all of this is happening 
in that zero to 25 years old, give or take, right? And all of that is establishing us. It's rooting us. Your hard drive is getting imprinted. Your operating system's getting there. And your ideas of what's right and wrong and values are just starting to format. Interestingly enough, I do a lot of personality assessment with a disk tool that I use. And it's also the same with your personality. Your hardwiring, your personality constructs are really created and solidified by your mid-20s. It's some kind of combination of DNA. You probably noticed the twins. They don't get even closer than twins in an identical DNA, right? Yet, I'm sure you observe, just even at the age of two, they're different. There's some differences in their personalities. Oh, yeah. And so just to be clear, they're not identical, but other than sharing that housing for nine months, <laughs> these are two very, very different people. It's amazing. Which makes the point, something's in the code, you know, the genetic code. Well, then layer on top of that, your early growth environment and all the longitudinal studies around personality are telling us that by our mid-20s, you're pretty well wired. You have X percent of dominance, you're highly dominant, moderately dominant, or minimally dominant, and on you go. And so personality is just one element. But the point to the model is, as a zero to 25 first quarter, not only are we getting imprinted and learning so many things about who we are and where we're going and getting started in our lives, we're also getting a personality that's pretty well solidified and something that's going to carry us through for the rest of our lives. Then you get into the second quarter. Now it's 25. Maybe I'm out of college. Maybe I'm heading to grad school. I have looked at a career, started a career. I'm trying to figure things out. Maybe during my period of life, marriage was starting to happen. I got married very, very young. I know that's changed today, people getting married later in life. But even by the time in our late 20s, early 30s, mid 30s, people are beginning this selection of partnership settling into commitment. And then I got this career. Now my head is down. I'm working hard. I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to be doing to ring the bell, have success, make money, enjoy life. And all of a sudden, I look up one day, I'm 45, I'm 50, give or take. And without even anything happening, something called reflection and how am I doing starts to enter your consciousness. That's halftime. It's basically stepping into the locker room in a natural way and just asking questions. How am I doing? I'm asking about the scoreboard. I'm asking not only the score, I'm asking if I like the game that I'm actually playing in. I don't even know in some cases whether or not the score means anything to me. And by that, I mean in the world that we live in, in leadership and business, most people are keeping score based on money, power, recognition, achievement. That's how we do it. This is what the world tells us. We grow up and we start to create a resume, and that resume is not so much like who you are. It's what do you know how to do? What have you done? Show me your accomplishments and tell me why I should promote you or hire you or consider you for a senior level position in this company. That's one way to measure success. Well, what if 
part of you is not actually interested in that at all. What if you learn sometime by 45 or 50, I've done what I was programmed to do, and I've done what the world told me I should do. And oh, by the way, by the world standards, I'm doing pretty damn well. I'm a senior vice president. I'm the president. I'm a CEO. I've got stock. I've got wealth. I, okay, great. Now what? And oh, by the way, you're only 45 or you're 50, give or take. Maybe this happens for you at 40s in the Young Presidents Organization. I've encountered a lot of people with a lot of success by those measurements, a la money, power, recognition, who are having it at their 40s. And, of course, we don't have to look too far to the news to see, like, the odd ducks and, like, Zuckerbergs who are worth bazillions of dollars in, like, their 20s. So that's, like, a rare case For the average, I think there are a very strong number of people who put their heads down, got their degrees, got a family, got achievement, and somewhere in these mid-40s are starting to go, is this all there is? That's a ramble. Sorry, but I hope I communicated this halftime idea. It's a very powerful period that comes on. And I hope the listeners, as they're hearing this, the gears are turning and you're questioning yourself like, yeah, I like this model. Where am I? I'm X age. I'm thinking about meaning and purpose in ways I didn't before. How do I get a grip on this? So I'm going to stop for a moment, take a breath and get you, Matthew, to sort of jump in here because I always enjoy hearing your reactions to this. And it's great to have a reaction from somebody who's not quite at halftime, but is not too far from it. You know, you can look at the clock and there's five or eight minutes left in the second quarter, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, personally, as we talk about what I was mentioning earlier, my business, what I've been doing, I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. I never thought I was going to be an entrepreneur, but here I am making a go out of it. And so, yeah, I feel like there's about five, six minutes left in the second quarter approaching halftime, and I'm getting ready now to put together a two-minute drive, throw a few Hail Marys, do something to up the score a little bit before I get to that halftime and to feel like I've played a better game. The only thing I think that's missing from the halftime model analogy that you were bringing up and folks who've watched a lot of movies about football or you know seen these famous movies is the big inspirational speech. You know, the coach gets up there and gives them that bit of inspiration. I think of like Al Pacino and any given Sunday doing that, where the players stand up and they start motivating each other. You know, they start banging their helmets and they come out of the locker room into the second half just screaming and charging and rip-roaring and ready to go. And so I think as part of this assessment, you've also got to be your own cheerleader. You've got to be your own coach. You've got to be that person who's also going to motivate you and remind you it ain't over till it's over. Get out there and play the rest of this game. You know, every second counts. Man, I'm telling you, that is an exceptional observation because it's so true. And I think our whole podcast, Sheer Clarity, is basically underscoring that this thing called life You have to become your own cheerleader. There isn't a group like this. You don't have a team. 
You have yourself, and you are left alone with your own thoughts. And I have many, many leaders who actually haven't even cultivated that thought process yet. They're actually robotic. They're still operating on their program. I have people that I coach who had a very narrow definition of what was expected of them. And when you talked about the game that they were playing, their grandfather's name was on the building. That was it. Here's your path. It's like four feet wide and the walls are eight feet high. You just go forward down the chute. You don't look left and you don't look right. You just do what's expected because you're Joe Smith and your grandfather started the company. So a lot of those categories, a lot of those folks in these closely held legacy businesses, second and third gen, when they do halftime, oh my God, it's really tough. Because not only are they waking up their inner sort of reflection of 45 or 50, they've been operating in such a narrow view of who they're supposed to be. They never even had a chance to think about other options. And yet 45 or 50, guess what happens? If that legacy business that they have, that they're sitting on top of as the president or CEO, it's been around 50 years or 80 years, blah, blah, blah. Everybody knows you in town and they know the name. If it's doing really well, you don't get credit for that because you're identified as just the silver spooner. Oh, and if it's not doing well, guess what happens? You get blamed. You're the kid who let it fail. It's tough spot to be, and it's unique uh, to these generational businesses, and I've got lots of folks in that category. So this conversation at halftime became really powerful with them. I have one thing that popped up for me that I want to talk to the listeners about, and, and maybe this is directed more because of what you identified about this cheerleader thing. You're kind of on your own to do it. I want to make sure that I check in with my younger listeners who go by the term millennials. I want to do an episode on that someday because I hate these labels. I don't know what millennials actually think about the label, but I hate what people attach to it. I've worked in organizations where the average age is somewhere in the 28 to 32 category, by far and away, millennials. And you know what? They're just people too. They're humans too, and they're guided by the same human drives and emotions. They're just doing so in this time and space. So this halftime model needs to have a comment. Our parents, or at least my parents, because I'm in my mid-60s, my dad passed away in 2017. He was 91. He was one of that greater generation's Navy veteran kind of guy, right? But he did not necessarily see life the way I did. And his parents, there just wasn't a period of life available the way we have. I mean, people died at 50 or 60. We're living to be 90 or 100, and God only knows how much longer it's going to go because of the way science is working and technology and the Medical field is doubling in geometric equation. I mean, I don't know. Are we going to live to be 120 or 130? It's possible. But this period wasn't necessarily available to my parents and grandparents. In the 1900s, 
from what I've read early on in Bob's book, the working life averaged about 20 years. That was the average amount of years to work. Today, it's 60. And in the 1900s, just in 1900 alone, the actual life expectancy was 50 years old. Is that mind-boggling? That's 100 years. So 100 years later, everybody's living twice as long. 100 years ago, they didn't even think about it. Now we're going to live into 80s and 90s, and maybe by the time my younger listeners are around, it could be 100, 110. So the other thing that was happening back then, back in those days, just so people can kind of have a context here, in the 1900s, pretty much it was a society where people followed in the footsteps of their fathers. And it was purely male. Women did not have anything remotely resembling the professional career paths they have today. Today, men and women are equally gifted with opportunities and choices to go do whatever they want to do. Not 100 years ago, if your father was a carpenter, you were a carpenter. If your father was a bricklayer, you were a bricklayer. If, if he was a banker, you probably were a banker. If they owned a business and you just started sweeping the shop floor when you were eight years old and you went on and took over the business. But today, that's just not even remotely close to what's possible. The traditional understandings of what the term retirement meant years ago are no longer even relevant. I don't even think of the term retirement in any way. For my dad, I'll tell you, he worked at a bank and he got an opportunity to retire early. And at 55 or 58, he took the package, got his pension, got his gold watch, and they had a party. And that was it. And look at the world today. So this halftime model is fairly new phenomenon that we actually even have this amount of time to do this. I'll stop there and check in with you. <laughs> well, we're not going to quite stop there because what's going to happen if you join us next week, we're going to do part two on the halftime model. Talk a little bit more specifically about leaders at the midpoint in life. You know, go over what that really means as far as your leadership, where it goes, where it can go. I'm sure succession planning will be coming up as part of that discussion because that's a big topic that Kevin always likes to bring up. But in the meantime, we'll say thank you for joining us this time on Sheer Clarity. Of course, we would love to hear from you. What do you think? Are you in the halftime of your life? Are you over the halftime? Are you in the third quarter? What was that experience like? What did you learn from it? What advice would you want to pass on to the next person who hasn't quite approached it. You can do that by dropping us a comment at the website, sheerclarity.com, or just email us directly, kevin at sheerclarity.com. Otherwise, head to sheerclarity.com, check out all the episodes, look at the show notes, subscribe to the podcast so you get a notification every time a new episode pops up, and also look at all the great resources that are available that Kevin has curated and that will help you become the consummate leader by attraction. Again, all of that is at SheerClarity.com. I'm Matthew Passy. He's J. Kevin McHugh, and we will see you next time on Sheer Clarity.